HRD Talk, the Human Resources Director Podcast. In part two of this series, presented by Workplace Safety and Prevention Services, Dr. Bill Howitt, Chief of Research at the Conference Board of Canada, shares his personal journey around mental health and resiliency, and importantly, discusses how CEOs and leadership can accommodate employees dealing with mental health concerns in order to thrive. Uh, welcome, Bill. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, great. And uh, can you talk a little bit about what your personal journey has been around mental health and resiliency? I appreciate you asking. I think what's interesting for me for this question is for people that are going to be listening to this conversation is for me to kind of tell you a little bit about how I got to where I'm at, as you asked. And mm-hmm. my background is I'm the kid who grew up in the foster home. I'm the kid who went through that experience and got adopted. I'm the kid who failed grade two. I'm the kid who went through the whole public education system, struggling, feeling they were stupid and failure, not quite understanding what was going on with me. I'm the kid that was experiencing depression and anxiety during that process, not really knowing what was going on, whether I was ever good enough. All expected outcomes of, I think, that a lot of kids out there have experienced. Absolutely. A lot of people have grown right. up like that. And, yeah. and what happened to me is, is why I tell people I start my story is because when I was playing football at Acadia, I ended up meeting one particular professor who, whether she knows to or not to this day, was a very significant human being because she gave me what was my first accommodation. And she actually allowed me to realize is that, you know, people like me and what she found out was is that helped me understand that being visually dyslexic, auditory dyslexic, and ADHD, those barriers were things that were facilitating what my mental health challenges. And once I got my accommodation and learned that actually you didn't have to be able to read perfect and you didn't have to be able to write perfect and you could have editors and other people help you and actually it didn't mean you were stupid or dumb or different. I just learned different. Probably just the relief of of knowing that there, there's an ex- explanation for, for That's certain it. things in your life, yeah, right? Yeah, right. And once I actually understood there was a way for me to actually get through it, I became fascinated with mental health. So I went through my undergraduate because of her. I was able to graduate from Acadia with two degrees. I went off and did another four, five, six, actually seven, no, actually eight different degrees and a postdoctorate. And I specialized focusing in mental health. So I've, my journey today, why, why I'm excited about having this conversation with you is as someone who's actually worked with patients for over 30 years, seeing them as a clinician, someone who's actually with lived, learned experiences, and someone who spent 12 years working on Wall Street, working within the investment banking world and the finance world, where I took different roles as a consultant, facilitating, supporting organizations to help them grow and adding that personal element of building relationships and creating a place so people can thrive, and then starting to realize what resiliency really, in essence, for this conversation, it's something that people learn. It's not something that you're born with. It's a skill like anything else. And the big thing is around this conversation as we evolve it to start to influence CEOs and other folks is it's very much like physical safety. Psychological safety can be something that can be taught and be, it can be expanded. And whereas we get into this conversation, we'll share some ideas of things that I'm hoping can help people start to think about how they can help their employees and their organization to be more profitable and right. safer and et cetera. Uh, was it something easy for you to learn? That no, I wouldn't say it was. Yeah. I would say yeah. to you it was interesting. I struggled all the way mm-hmm. through the public education system. I spent 13 years there struggling and five or six years. And I would say at 56 years old, I'm still 
you know, I, I create the illusion every day, I have it together and I'm doing pretty good, but I, I'm realizing it, to be a human being is pretty hard. And I think sometimes when you have credentials and titles and people think that you're, you have it, but mental health doesn't matter. Titles, education, we all have it. And I think that's a big challenge is lots of folks are actually getting confused in this conversation with mental health to mental illness. Yeah. You know, it's a common thing. People yeah. don't realize that. Yeah, it's it is a difference. And well, health, it, mental, healthy mental health. And yeah, it's like physical health. Yeah, right. Exactly. You, I mean, you so not all of us, you and I could run 20 miles. Mm -hmm. But, you know, our physical fitness can improve. But if our physical fitness, we don't pay attention, we increase our risk for chronic disease. The same thing with mental health. You don't pay attention to your mental health. You increase your risk for mental illness. However, yeah, just like physical activity. You pay attention to your physical activity, you can still have a heart attack. You pay attention to your mental health, you might still end up with a mental illness or a mental injury in the workplace. So this is why this conversation is not an easy conversation for many people yeah. to figure out. Uh, so Bill, what are the, the three things uh, that CEOs must understand around mental health? I think I got three words for you and I'll say them pretty quick and then you, we can, you can respond mm -hmm. back. Their influence. It's important they understand that they can have an impact, their influence, their words, what they say openly, how they start to talk about it, and how they normalize that they can play a role in driving out stigma. The quest is to eliminate for people to feel safe, and there's three types of stigma, self-stigma, peer stigma, and organizational. And the last thing, their actions their follow-through, their willingness to go through the training, their willingness to ask employees, the willingness to stay involved, not just check the box or do an announcement. It's their involvement. And those three elements, if they buy into this concept and understand that this is not going to go away by next Tuesday, and they think about mental health the same as they would think about any other resource that they have, is the mental health, with, because my belief system, without mental health, the organizations will have nothing meaning. If employees can't actually function, they're in trouble. And here's a point you may want to consider, is when we talk about mental health, 20% of the population in Canada, they say, have a mental health issue. We also know that 30% of the population have loneliness issues. We also know 19% of the population has heavy drinking. We also know that there's a percentage of the population up to 28 to 32% aren't sleeping. We also know that approximately 43% of the population are worried about finances every day. In fact, we know the research that the average person worries about finance every 30 days. I could go on and on and on. So the question is, who's not worried about something or actually struggling because being a human being is not that easy. When organizations know they can play an important role in facilitating the workplace experience, they can actually help people be more uh, able to thrive. Mm. Yeah, well, and you mentioned uh, the first thing was influence. Obviously, CEOs have a lot of influence, yes. probably more than anybody in an organization. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what is the context of, of what that influence can do with contrib helping with the mental health? Well, it's, it's actually acknowledging it's actually real. It's, it's interesting is when you talk to lots of organizations, they'll say our senior management don't get there's a such thing as mental health. I've actually heard some senior people say, listen, we have to just recruit better to get people that are mentally stronger or mentally tougher, and they're missing the whole point. It's being our mental health goes on a scale from flourishing to languishing, and everybody has it. It's the same thing as physical health. What employers will win by is actually understanding, talking about it, and paying attention to it is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength because if you pay attention to your employee's experience, in other words, everything that happens to them from their environment to their workload 
to their interactions with their managers, to the one they walk in the door. The mental health experience is just not providing them EAP, a mental health policy, et cetera. Mental health today needs to be more aware. It's everything the employee actually does that could actually possibly charge them or drain them, which we can talk more in detail mm -hmm. as we go along. Yeah, of course. And obviously that influence uh, is kind of demonstrated in their words and actions, which Absolutely. were the other two things you mentioned. Um, so obviously there's the phrase, actions are louder than words, but <laughs> you know, words can be important as well. So, yes. so as far as the CEOs, when they're looking at, at how they, they affect uh, their their organization's mental health approach. Mm -hmm. um, what can their words and actions, you know, affect? How can they positively affect? Hey, what's are, you, going on? are you looking at how they would care, like, or is it just uh, well? How can they show they care? If, oh, okay. Assuming and and just yeah, and and I guess from the top down, spreading that that attitude. Yeah, I, I think a big one is actually standing forward. When their actions, a good one, their influences, their actions is actually being willing to actually talk to employees in meetings about mental health, being willing to say, listen, I'm not an expert in mental health. I'm just learning about what mental health is. But I know my 13th cousin has a mental health issue or my wife or my child or myself. And personalizing that this is not people, it's a rarity. The fact is 20% of your workforce any given day will be experiencing a, something would fall into the criteria of mental health. So it's fairly significant. However, the, your point being is it's them being authentic and genuine, not just doing a poster card one day and meeting you know, saying, saying on, on a random Thursday, it's, yeah. it's every day. Yeah. And of course, and you, you're upfront about sharing your own uh, issues. Um, so say for an example that uh, a CEO does, has had an issue, um, do you see a, an advantage uh, of them sharing that with their workforce or, or is there potential risk? Well, it there? depends on where they're at in their, themselves, mm -hmm. right? I think that I'm a walking accommodation. I feel very, very secure. There's important days like Bell Talk and let's others that allow people the opportunity to realize we're trying to remove stigma. However, I think we need to be mindful of not everyone's ready to talk. We need to create the conditions and not some people, it's a very private thing. So we don't need everybody coming forward and talking about it. A CEO could have a mental health issue and may not feel yet in their recovery of they have, maybe they have struggled with an addiction or something or depression or they're just learning what it is. I think it depends on where they're at. But we need to make sure that, Jeffrey, there's be clear, Jeff, there's two axes. There's a mental illness axis and there's a mental health axis. And if they're struggling with their mental illness, their mental health may be at risk. But if they don't have a mental illness and they're okay and their mental health is strong and they're doing okay, and I mean strong, like not they feel comfortable and confident in their resiliency and coping skills and managing stress, et cetera, and they're able to have clarity, sure, it's positive. Sharing stories can be positive, but I caution people it's, we sometimes do that pendulum of everyone has to be talking, and oh, that's yeah, not yeah. necessarily. That's a very individual thing, right? That's yes. The, the individual has to be ready to do yeah. it in, in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so why should CEOs care uh, about mental health? Well, it's interesting when you when I was looking preparing for this, and I, I'm going to I'm going to go through four bullets, and I'd be interested to get your response mm -hmm. to it because, you know, one thing I believe it's the right thing to do. We're dealing with humans. And if we really want to deal with humans, we can care about other humans. The caring factor is, is that humans care for humans. So it's the right thing to do to support people. And we're not talking about people who are broken. I mean, I've lived my entire life with a mental health issue. 
And I would think my clients still think I'm somewhat productive, functioning, and doing things and still can perform. But I need to pay attention to my mental health every day. It's financially expensive to ignore it. I mean, the reality is there's research, you know, there are different stats. It's $50 billion a loss of productivity. You're, you, you have people that lose time in the workplace, meaning presentism. They're not able to feel well in the workplace. It could result in short-term disability or long-term disability or attendance issues. It can be very, very expensive and increase in drug claims, et cetera. It's also really good for your business, too, is because what happens is people sometimes always talk about what it costs but they forget to forget the, the lost opportunity. Yeah. So for- well, They equate cost with purely financial. Exactly. Where, yeah. Right? It's more costs. Right. That are, is not financial. Right. It's, however, it's also the opportunity for creative thinking, new innovations, et cetera. That may drive more revenue, but it might drive more, more creativity and things. And it saves people's lives. And I think we need to sometimes, we, we don't talk about suicide enough. In Canada, 10 people will take their life today. 200 to 250 will attempt to take their life. In the planet, every 40 seconds, someone takes their life. Wow. <laughs> so if you think about it, with the amount of suicide that's going on and the amount of addictive behaviors going on and the amount of financial stress in our country and with our evolution to new AI and new technologies and continue to be agile and the shrinking of the middle class and the pressure of being a human being, sometimes I think what we're not realizing is we need to slow down a bit. We're not machines. And we're trying to keep up with devices. We're trying to keep up to things that can work 24 hours a day. What we have to realize, there's only 24 hours a day, and the way it's supposed to have gone was eight hours sleep, eight hours work, eight hours life, five days, and then relax. We somehow are getting lost in this abyss that's creating much more stress in our society. Yeah, and I think, and, and your point about the employees are humans. I think there, there's different aspects to that where, yes, uh, uh, there's a trend nowadays more and more as far as recruitment and retention. Mm. It's employees are being, are more valuing work-life balance and, and, and just their time to them that they need for themselves versus It's a great point. Worked. I mean, I told you earlier I was 56. I didn't mean to actually get into disclosing of <laughs> ages, but I'm old. And what's interesting, my generation, I was brought up with traditionalists. So, I, I mean, all the competitive workaholic behavior, working long hours, being, you know, all that I kind of was drive, driven in my DNA. Work harder, 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 you'll get ahead. We're having a, a generational shift, and not to say that, and I, and I really don't like all the stereotypes about millennials. I mean, some of, my, some of my most talented employees on my team, my company is millennials, and then the Z generation. I think what's happening is when I look at my children, it gives me a good reality when I look at my 20-year-old. He's perfectly okay to allow himself to have fun and to stop to do something. I miss that. My belief system was I was supposed to be climbing and growing. And I think what's happened is there's actually some societal expectations that, hey, all this work, work, work stuff, it's all good, but aren't we supposed to somewhat enjoy the journey too? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm really becoming hopeful is that employers are starting to realize that what if the 40-hour week was wrong? What if our employers can actually get more in 24 hours of work a week? What if there's different ways of thinking about human capacity versus just being yeah. linear? So it's, it's not that almost not how many hours can they work, but how many hours can they be maximally productive, right? Maximum productivity. Yeah. If, if it's 40 hours work versus 32, but 
if the 40 hours work, eight, eight of those hours are not very productive or just staring off into space or hanging out at the water cooler or not feeling well. And, and it's interesting you say that because lots of folks now are thriving under these flexible workforces. Some mm -hmm. people are saying they're much more productive sometimes when they're allowed to be home a couple of days a week yeah. and, and et cetera. I think we're going through a really interesting time. However, what my belief system is, and I could be wrong, but I do a lot of work with strategic HR is how to get all of these HR strategies and mental health strategies and respectful workplace strategies and return to workplace strategy and disability management strategies and engagement strategies and OHS strategies. See, they're all too siloed in my mind. If we just realize existentially they're all for one reason, it's to help employees maximize their opportunity to be successful in their assigned functions. They need to start work. We need to rethink all these different programs and start to get more integration, in my opinion. And so kind of moving on from that, how, how can CEOs accommodate people that will allow them to thrive in the workplace? I and mean, we've talked about some of these things that kind of will help that. But we, yeah, I think that ideally uh, organizations want their workers to thrive, not just be there. Yeah, and it's really good because I think what's happening is is that when we start talking about accommodate, then what happens is the, the gadgety idea of the day comes. Like, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to have open, you know, workplace, and we're going to have people work from home, and then we're going to have people telework, and we're trying to figure out all these different strategy and tactics. Versus stepping back, I think how employers can really start to really start to accommodate is be mindful of a few things: the employee's expectation, the employee experience, and the employee perceptions. The employee may perceive things, whether they're real or not, is that what they perceive. And what employers can really do to start to accommodate employees, if they really want to get the maximum, is be mindful of the employee experience around their expectation, around their experience around the perception of how they actually facilitate that and pay attention to when what employees actually believe often because off of what they perceive, whether it's right or wrong, but provide them the opportunity in a safe place to actually learn and share and grow. And I think what employers can do and CEOs can also be doing is when they're doing this kind of thing, they can be spending time realizing that they focus is organizational resiliency, meaning the organization's capacity, meaning if they have 100 employees and the aggregate of their output of the 100 employees will determine the organization's success. And those 100 employees are like a battery. So if everybody's at 50% charge, the question is for employers, the CEOs and employers that really want to accommodate the workforce to say this, how do we maximize the employee experience? What is, can we stop that's draining their battery and what can we do? And the other side of the fence is, is to realize we need to partner with employees and employ, they can't do it themselves. Yeah, there needs to be a bit of a give and take. And yeah, a, yes, a two-way. Not a, a, almost a silo. You don't want the siloing. Not of, a parenting model. It doesn't yeah. work. It's a partnering model. And it's building trust with the employees and providing them the opportunity to learn, grow, and flourish and giving them the tools. So how they can really accommodate is to be patient and realize Human beings aren't perfect, they're fallible, they take a lot of time to learn, they take a lot of effort, but at the end of the day, could you actually thrive without human beings? And if the answer is no, it's probably a good thing to invest in, but it's interesting, we'll spend a lot of time in IT, or you know, ISO protocols, which are all great stuff, 
because they seem easier to follow, like you can do a HRS IT implementation, or you can do a new set of SOPs, or you can retool the office and make it prettier and create new environmental space. But at the end of the day, you still have wet-wired homo sapiens that are bipedal moving in that are very emotional by times that we need to make sure that they realize how they fit and how they can feel welcomed in the environment. And we still aren't doing, we're missing the, we're missing the mark. We're spending millions of dollars in CRMs, but how many dollars are we spending on ERMs, employee relationship management? Right. Well, and that kind of goes looking at, like, obviously lately there's a lot of technological re revolution and rapid, I mean, it's, it's hard to keep up almost with, with the new development. So, so how can CEOs, uh, what, what is their role to play in uh, making their, their organization's people thrive, say, over the next three to five years, uh, through this technological revolution? I think it's getting to the fact is that getting at the last frontier is going to be human capacity, understand we have to actually become aware of what we're satisfied with. We continue to go through this cutting place where employees feel they're doing more with less, more with less, more with less, more pressure, more communication, more emails, more demands. We need to slow things down and stabilize and start focusing what I believe really on organizational resilience, what the employer can do, what the employee can do, be specific, measure on the employee experience. And if you think about this, it's good business. If you look at any CRM research, for every time customer relationship management, you can improve what's called a CX. That metrics by 1.36, it equates to 0.05% in revenues. Now, the question is, that people don't realize, is that if your CRM results, how does it happen? It happens because you have employees who willingly come to work and willingly want to provide customers with the best experience. So your brand and your organization and your, your whole organization's success, it's not some or our values or our culture. We keep using these words. What it is, is the ag aggregate of social norms of what employees believe they're capable of doing on a daily basis. So here's what CEOs need to realize. They need to be very challenging to their HR professionals and start saying to them, I don't want a bunch of programs. I want to know what the behaviors that we can help facilitate with evidence. And I want us to measure a few behaviors that help employees to have the experience that they feel welcomed. And I also want to know what percentage of my employers are coming to work because they want to versus they don't. And then the ones that don't, I want us to learn how to help them. Taking that a human approach, and it sounds somewhat existential, I know. You might <laughs> think I'm out of my whoop. But I think that's the last frontier is figuring yeah. how to work with humans. Well, that's it, that, and that's kind of yeah. That's a, a kind of a theme we've talked about with a few things. It's it's that relate relations relating to employees as humans, and then, and even employees remembering that the CEOs and the executives are humans as well. That's a good point too. We it's, keep forgetting there too, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> and it's sometimes when there is a disconnect, they're just seen, especially with technology and and things like just all everybody relying on email or texting and everything. And you forget that there's people behind that. And I think that's where you get people, the corporations and organizations have to get into email protocols and things because I think that stems from people forgetting that there's a person on the other side reading it. Yes, like, who, who might think that expectation. Yeah. That's why I think expectation, experience, perception, the employee experience, focus on that. That's where your goal is. I don't know if they're focusing enough on it. Yeah. And then, of course, there's that, that relationship, uh, that between employers and employees uh, so 
let's look a little bit more about the cooperation or the roles of, of both sides. Like, what are the behaviors that CEOs and organizations can facilitate as an employer, as well as behaviors that employees on their end need to exhibit to, to make a successful uh, go of it? I, I, my perception, and I'm not going to try to create the, you know, the old easy button and say this is what I'm about to say is easy, but there's a couple things they could do. One is inclusion. It's really focus on inclusion. Get good at inclusion. In other words, be mindful. Are employees feeling welcomed in the workplace? It's amazing how many employees don't feel welcomed in the workplace, aren't clear what their value is, aren't clear what their contribution or how they actually fit. Um, take stigma on and at work be committed to eliminate stigma. Allow people it's okay. And stigma is not only for mental health. It could be for chronic disease. Also, it could be for people who are involved in respectful workplace issues and they don't feel comfortable feeling if they say something, you know, that someone could lose their job and they don't really want to get people in trouble and they don't want to be a bad person. It's, it's all those different stereotypes allow people to realize we're creating community. And I believe perhaps singly the most important job skill we can start to put in our new workforce is intrapersonal skills, which is resiliency. My research is starting to show over and over it's a trainable skill. It's not about having people learn how to bounce back. That's, not, that's the outcome. It's about helping people understand. If I asked you, and I don't want to embarrass you, but if I said to you, what's your daily resiliency plan, you might look at me with two heads. Most human beings don't wake up in the morning and have a mental fitness plan. And if they know, they know with the physical fitness, they know exercise, diet, rest, relaxation, sleep, water, social connections are good for your physical health. We know it. But why aren't people doing it? Oh, because it's not immediate. Or it's, well, that's when I, I don't really need that. That's, mental health is no different. And so getting people to learn, let's not assume that people have the algorithm for mental health and resilience is a part of it. Let's educate people on it so that at least they can opt out uh, if yeah. you know, like, <laughs> have the choice, yeah, to make make one way or the other, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, what's your advice to leaders? Uh, where should they start? I mean, this this can be a lot, uh, especially if, if they're not anywhere on the road yet to, mm. to getting any of this taken care of. How do they start? Where do they start? And and how do they get going on it? Well, I, I think, believe it or not, if they got to this far in the podcast <laughs> and showing an interest in this topic, this step mean, one right here. Step yeah. one is actually listening and being open to this conversation. Uh, I mean, to be very tactical about it, one thing is get a pulse survey that focuses on your employees. And please, if your survey, if you're going to use a survey, ensure it measures employees' perceptions as well as their behaviors and your programs that you're doing. Don't assume that you're, everything you're doing is not working, but get evidence. So instruments that are out there that just like an employee engagement surveys, I'm not a big fan on because they just measure perception. If they measure the employee's perceptions and their habits and the programs and start using some predictive analytics and start to help employers, which they can, like for example, there's a mental fitness index and there's different sophisticated tools that are out there that you can do that can measure this kind of stuff then you can start to actually get ahead. The second thing you might want to consider is where are we on our conversation for our maturity to start to lean into mental health? And do we need to deal with mental health as a strategy or can we fit it into the employee experience as a part of what we're going to do is help propagate organization resiliency? And, and take, so be very clear on, on your approach. And the last thing is for tr CEOs, get trained. 
do some training, do some resiliency, get involved in some conversations, go through some work so that you can start to see the value of it, so that you can start to give to see that why you want your employees to get in this conversation. And the last thing I will say to you is be, be purposeful, focused, as if you were trying to, as a CEO, get a quarter return and realize that this is going to be quarter by quarter and it's going to take a long time and there is no goal line. This is a journey, a plan, do, check, act, that old Deming model where, you know, your quality control systems. Well, this one here, my friends, there is no ending. There's no utopia. You just I, keep getting better and better. I think a lot of people have, have know of the, the company that introduces a certain initiative and so they're all gung-ho about it and then by the following year, what happened to that? You know, it's, yeah, it's the fizzle, the, the big, the big hype, big fizzle. No, stay yeah. humble and quiet. I think that's really sage advice that you're bringing. Mm-hmm. Like, start out with realistic expectations and be, you know, be the uh, turtle. Don't worry about being the rabbit. Be slow, steady. Do one or two things well a year. Ensure you get evidence that they're working, and make sure you talk to your employee and say, "Hey, we tried these things. What do you guys think? Is it working? Is it helpful?" And if they don't know about it or are not engaging it, that's Probably signs that you got lots of nice PowerPoints and brochures, <laughs> but people aren't getting it. Yeah, and it's like that the, the physical health allegory where the the getting up and exercising every day, where everything it's 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 not the the quick solution diet that works. It's the lifestyle change. Right? Slow, yeah. I think the same applies here. Right? It does. Yeah. 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 So the in it for the long term and, and being dedicated to the goal. Yeah. I would agree. Up. One yeah. thing at a time and being committed to the journey. Get And I think the last thing I would say on it, someone who's spent their entire adult life thinking about this, is I'm realizing that the conversation after 30 years, it's just started. Mm-hmm. And that's what I find fascinating. I've been doing this stuff for 33 years this year. And it's just starting. Well, really, yeah, when you look at it, I mean, it's it's been in the consciousness, but even just in the last couple of years or a few years, so much has changed and even now it's we're just scratching the surface like you said because there's much more that has not been talked about well i don't want to bring you bring this down because i know <laughs> we're going to be coming to an end in a minute mm-hmm. but i think something world economic forward gave a stat this year and i don't know if you know this stat but by 2030 the number one cause of premature death in the plant will be mental health so we wow it's a so that's a we, stunning statistic yeah so that. we don't really i mean this thing here takes people shortens people's lives, mm-hmm. impacts their quality of life, impacts their experience. This is a global problem. It's not just a Canadian problem. So employers are 18.5 million approximately, full-time, part-time people. Employers have a huge opportunity to have a big impact and the social impact because if they can help their employees, they're also helping them to go home and have better experience with their families and then in their communities. So there's, there's a lot of uh, pay-it-forward opportunity here. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I think we'll have to wrap things up soon. But uh, just before I do let you go, Bill, is there anything you'd just like to really leave our listeners with uh, to come away with this, uh, an important point or just something to remember? Yeah, you know, there's probably a lot. And, and Mm -hmm. you know, but will I get the right one? I think the big one is to care. Really care. I mean, it's not, this is not difficult. I'll have some empathy for other human beings and just realize that people aren't you. If you're a CEO and you have autonomy, I worked in Wall Street with some of the top CEOs on the planet. They have autonomy. They can do what they want. They can go. They have more financial independence. Just realize that your average Joe or Jill aren't you. 
and to realize is that they're trying to do the best they can with their families and their lives. And what you can do by your impact, you can actually help influence and change communities in your organization, in your culture, by simply realizing that you, everyone is not you and, be, and, and have that level of empathy. So you're taking some interest. Great. Dr. Bill Howard of the Conference Board of Canada, thanks very much for joining me on HRD Talk and uh, sharing your experiences. Thanks and, for having me again, Jeff. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this installment of HRD Talk. For more from our partners at Workplace Safety and Prevention Services and resources for better safety in the workplace, visit them at wsps.ca. That's wsps.ca. Be sure to follow HRD Talk for more episodes of this series.